Welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny Sheriff, your host, certified fertility awareness practitioner, functional nutrition counselor, and founder of the HA Society, and of course, an HA recovery coach who has walked where you currently are walking. This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. So let's dive in. But last thing, nothing on the show should be taken as medical advice. So please seek the advice of your physician. Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much In this 60-minute masterclass, y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to thehasociety.com forward slash masterclass Or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's thehasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Hey guys, welcome back to the HA podcast. I am here with Lauren and she is sharing her story today. I, I don't remember when I first met Lauren, but I haven't really heard much from her in the past year um she was a member of the group we got to chat and just she she showed up actually quite a lot and so I definitely remember all of I don't remember almost everything from her story at the time but I have no idea what's been happening since and she reached out and kind of had some updates and was like I think that it would be great to share my experience on your show. And I was like, absolutely, 100%. I would love that. So welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you, Danny. I was like, I think I think that's pretty much the intro. I, I still don't know the details that you're actually going to be sharing. And I always love the opportunity, even though I've spoken to people, um, you know, in and out of calls and through chats on instagram like i get snapshots of what they're going through but i don't always get to hear everyone from start to finish so it's always really fun so would you mind sort of introducing yourself a bit more like where you're from um where your story begins and just kind of take us through it 
For sure, for sure. And thanks for having me. Um, I'm from Asheville, North Carolina, originally. Currently, I am living in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, I am hmm. a lawyer doing what's called clerking for a federal judge. So I'm down here in Florida doing that job temporarily. I recently got married, which is super exciting. Uh, my husband is in the military, and he's also a lawyer. Um, and Danny, military I was telling lawyer. you before we, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was telling you before we started, kind of just how grateful I feel, like every day that I, I get to have this recovered life, in which I feel like a whole person instead of just half a person. And as I tell my story, I think two things are really important at the outset, kind of establish. One is that I know not everyone with HA had or has an eating disorder. Um, I personally suffered from anorexia, red S, orthorexia, a little bit of bulimia, like the whole nine. Um, but I, I, mean, I want to acknowledge that not everybody in this group, maybe not everyone listening, um, has an eating disorder or has been diagnosed with one. Um, Secondly, I'm also not really speaking to fertility. I know a lot of um, women kind of discover they have HA when they try to have a child, uh, and that is not necessarily my story. We're actually trying actively to not have a child. So outset, I just kind of want to note this thing, um, and I guess I'll just, do you want me to just start from the beginning, Danny? Is that good? Yes, please. Okay, cool. So I grew up in a home that had a general fear of like calories and fat and bigness. Like I, I had this sense from a young age that small was just better. Small was attractive. Small was sought after. And I think part of that is because my mom is pretty tiny, you know, by objective standards. And I remember how much praise she got for her size both from her friends, from like random, you know, people at the grocery store. I mean, she was constantly getting attention for how, quote unquote, tiny and cute that she was. Um, she was mm -hmm. also very health conscious. So I kind of grew up on the whole like special K margarine situation. Um, and, and I learned that. I learned like, you know, you've got to eat low fat and then you'll be small and then you'll be attractive that whole stream of logic was, was pretty present um, for me as a child. And one of my earliest memories with this like body awareness that I was thinking about as I, as I was preparing to talk to you is probably from when I was like six or seven, I was in the church choir with like, I don't know, 40 other kids, like huge room of kids. And we would sit in these chairs and sing at choir practice. And I remember choir practice was in the summer, so I had shorts on. And whenever we would sit in the chair, my thighs would naturally kind of spread and appear like bigger than they actually were. And so I would ask the choir director in front of all of these other kids if we could stand up for choir practice. Because I could not tolerate the feeling of, like, looking down and seeing my legs appear, quote, unquote, big. And, again, that's probably when I was, like, six or seven. So, like, very young, I had this body-checking, body-awareness um, kind of situation going. As I got a little bit older, I became a competitive gymnast. I was always very athletic as a child, um, and I know how many of our HAers were competitive gymnasts. I think Michi was one um, as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, no, she is. She was, but, yeah, know, yeah, or at least college. Yeah. yeah. Gymnastics is a sport that's, you know, so hyper-focused on the body, right? You've got to be tiny. You've got to be fit. You've got to be strong to be able to like fling yourself and flip and do all the things you need to do. And so I think, I think becoming a competitive gymnast in the amount of hours I was spending in the gym as like a nine and 10 year old 
really started fueling this exercise addiction. Exercising became a way for me to manage this desire to be small, this idea that small was better. And so I, I was competitive for a few years. I did end up quitting um, the older I got in school because we got to a point where I was either going to be homeschooled and continue competing or be, quote, unquote, a normal kid and go to school. And I wanted to be a normal kid. I missed having sleepovers with friends and going to football games and, you know, doing that kind of thing. So in high school, I began running. Um I ran cross-country, indoor, and outdoor track. So I was running year-round in high school. And I would say probably when I was about 15 or 16, about sophomore year is, is when the serious kind of anorexia and binge eating started. Uh, I became a vegetarian and um, really constricted my calories. I was doing my fitness pal. Um, I can remember, like, sitting on the way to a cross-country meet and searching the hashtag, like, Finspo or Fitspo in my Pinterest and just, like, scrolling that. Like, it was, like, it was addictive for me. This obsession, you know, with food and getting small and being restrictive and exercising. Um, and then I think from there, my symptoms really just took off uh, from the eating disorder. Everything was super rigid. I had extreme difficulty sleeping, you know, dry skin, hair falling out, bad digestive issues. And I also really became disengaged socially. I had a really hard time experiencing any kind of emotion. I felt more like a robot. I lost a lot of my friends because I was so hyper-focused, you know, on food and exercising and, and having friends felt like kind of a threat to that and a threat to my my food and my running schedule. Um, I did eventually get a period, my first period at about age 17. I think it was like my junior year, maybe my senior year of high school. And I completely panicked because I knew, you know, if, if you're quote unquote, like skinny enough, you won't get a period. So I, you know, I had actively been trying to put off um, this thing that my body was naturally supposed to do. And so when I got it, I kind of panicked um, and really just catapulted further into the eating disorder. I probably had about two, maybe three total periods by the time I got to college, uh, that initial one, and then maybe one or two more cycles. And I did choose to run in college um, but of course, when I got there and I was, you know, stick thin and didn't have a period, the athletic doctor was like, absolutely not. Like, this is not going to work at the college level. Like, you need to bulk up and you need to get a period, which in hindsight is really cool. You know, that this doctor was like, hold up. Like, do you have an issue? You know, this is not okay. This is not healthy for you as, as a Division One athlete. But what does he do but put me on birth control? <laughs> he was like, this will give you a period. Take this pill. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not really supposed to do this, but, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, we just need to make sure you're getting a period. And then he also put me on the football player's diet, quote, unquote. It was literally the same diet that the, the Division One football team had to follow. It was insane. It was like, I'm trying to even remember how many meals. I think it was six, seven meals a day. And like, I remember an example of a snack was a burrito. Like a literal. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that. Like, you know what? After training, go get a burger and a shake. You're like, okay. As like your post-training snack. Yeah, it was crazy. It would be like only eat four cookies with your lunch. Like I, it, it was it was insane. So you know, I tried doing it. I took the birth control. I but I just wasn't running well. You know, I don't know if it was the years in high school of eating disorder kind of catching up with me, 
or if it was this shift into, you know, now I'm eating just like constantly to the point where I'm like bloated, full, uncomfortable, and running just really didn't work out for me in college. So I quit after my first year. Um, and without that structure of having the regular exercise in my routine, that you know, anorexia and the binge eating really started back. Um, but this time it was on a way more um, acute level. I stopped eating gluten, dairy, sugar, and red meat. But I was really just eating like sweet potatoes, chicken breast, hummus, and broccoli. That was kind of, that was my food. Um, that's what I ate. Now, I didn't run as much um, in those first years as I, I said I wasn't running well in college, and I just genuinely didn't feel good running. So I really focused more on restricting my food than I did on exercising in that particular season. But with the eating habits the way they were, um, I just kind of continued until people started freaking out. I got so skinny. I was like, you know, like the, there's a line between like acceptable, tiny, lean fit where people label you as like cute or even fit. And then there's like scary skinny. And I'll talk a little bit more about that line later, but, but I definitely crossed it. I, I was at the scary skinny stage. I remember having to wear like fleece leggings under my jeans, A, so my jeans would fit. And B, because I was freezing, because I was so small. Um, again, like, emotions were just non-existent. I was very robotic. I, looking back now, like, comparing my um, kind of emotional and hormonal state to where I was then, I mean, I was half a person, literally half a person. Um, it was not comfortable. Or, like, it wasn't, I wasn't enjoying my life uh, at all. So I began to put on a little more weight, but I learned to kind of rock that line between where I could be socially acceptably tiny, but not scary looking. So I, you know, figured out the exact amount of calories that I had to eat. And I also started running again at this point. So the amount of miles I had to run uh, a week to basically be socially acceptably small and during this time I can remember going to several different doctors uh, just for various things and they all told me when I said oh yeah I don't get my period because at, at this point I, I don't think I mentioned but I had stopped taking the birth control when I stopped uh, collegiate running and each of them would say oh you'll never get a period you're just so healthy you run so many miles like you'll never get a period don't worry about it it's probably convenient that you're not getting a period mm. and I was just like okay great and I love that praise you know like oh you're so healthy you're just so tiny and fit and I lived for that um then I went to law school and again you know, the stress of law school really just progressed the eating disorder back towards the, the scary, skinny line. Um, and I kind of hit rock bottom, which is right before I found the HA Society, my second year of law school. I had had, like, weeks of unexplained, intense dizziness, kind of like a vertigo situation where everything was rocking. I was dizzy. It got the point where I couldn't run, couldn't really drive because I was so dizzy. And my one of my classmates actually took me to the ER. Um, and when I was in the ER, I com like completely passed out. Uh, I guess they tried to take my blood, and of course I hadn't like eaten anything that day. So I passed out in the ER. I I had this memory of all of these doctors and nurses like running in as my you know, whatever the monitor thing is in there is making the beeping noise. And, you know, they got me back to being conscious and, and talking. And all of the uh, personnel left the room except for one doctor. And it was this, this woman. And she said, you know, you are extremely tiny. 
your heart rate went down to the 30s, do we need to admit you? So, I mean, she, she was really, you know, saying, like, if you have a problem, like, speak up now and we will get your help. We will get you help. Mm. But, of course, you know, I was so afraid at the idea of recovering and, you know, having a normal body. I just batted my eyelashes at her and said, oh, you know, I probably could eat a little more. You're right. You know, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Well, another nurse came in eventually and said, you know, we need to boost your blood sugar because you just passed out. Is there anything that you want, like, to eat? And I I remember telling her, like, bring me the healthiest thing that you have because, you know, I don't want to eat all this processed stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, she came back with, like, yogurt, piece of cheese, and a Diet Coke. And I can remember sitting there and doing mental math, thinking, like, okay, I can have two bites of the yogurt. I can have one bite of the cheese. And I was, like, negotiating with myself about how many calories I felt like I could eat. You know, irrespective of the fact that I had just passed out. It's so crazy now looking back. Um, but she was like, I need to, I need to watch you drink this Diet Coke. And so, you know, obviously I was terrified of soda. It doesn't matter that it was diet, you know, soda is like the devil in the, the fitness world. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I take a sip and then she sees me take the sip and she walks out and I spit that Diet Coke out all over the room because I was terrified if I swallow this Diet Coke and I like it. I'm just going to lose control because I'm going to start drinking Diet Coke and then I'm going to start eating all these other things because at this point I still wasn't eating like gluten, most dairy, red meat. But I mean, I was just terrified. Hmm. So eventually, you know, I got out of the the ER and, you know, continued on in, in law school. And about a month later, I went on a date with my now husband and he straight up called me out for not eating. So I guess we, I, I don't mm. really remember this, but I guess that we, I hadn't really eaten on our first date. And then we went on a date like two days later and I didn't really eat it that day either. And that was a nice restaurant. And so I think he really noticed like, oh, I'm taking her out. So that was early on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I had known mm. this guy for like a couple of days and okay. he pulled me aside and was like, look, you have an eating disorder? Like, we've been on two Whoa. days. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you run a lot. Like, I'm not stupid. And, like, I had never had anyone, like, people had expressed concern in the past, but never had somebody, like, pulled me aside, looked me in my eye, and been like, you have a problem, and it's not okay. Like, it's not cute. It's not cool. It's actually really dangerous. And initially, I remember being like, actually, I'm perfect. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm perfect. I'm just, like, super tiny, and I can run all these miles and, like, get straight A's and all these things. And, you know, I don't have any problems. Everyone else has a problem. That was my initial response. And, you know, as the weeks went on, he really was pestering me about it until the point when he was like, I have a podcast that I think you should listen to. And I was like, okay, well, Danny, he had done his own research and apparently he Googled what happens when you like don't eat a lot and you run a lot and don't get a period and hypothalamic amenorrhea, you know, obviously popped up and he typed that search term into his podcast. Uh, app and found your podcast and he was like we're gonna listen to this girl's podcast (laughs) listening to your podcast I think it was the episode that you did with your husband was that really the first one I think it was (laughs) but I want to say that I think that's the one that we listened to but everything you said I was like trying to crawl in a hole because I felt so exposed I identified so much with literally everything you were saying 
And that really solidified for me, like, oh, I have this. You know, I have, and this is a problem. So from there, mm. I joined the HA Society, obviously, started going to community calls, but I also set up a whole treatment team. I had a, a therapist and a nutritionist who both specialized in eating disorder recovery, and I was meeting with them weekly at the beginning. Um, I think having that whole treatment team really helped me because it was like I was getting the psychological element. I was also getting the nutritional element from the nutritionist, and then I was getting that communal recovery aspect from the HA Society. And my nutritionist was particularly helpful because we set up this rule where it was like, you know, no more, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. So we eat everything. We eat everything now. And anytime you say, oh, I shouldn't have that cookie or I shouldn't have that, you know, fried chicken or whatever food, I would have to eat it. And so a couple weeks mm-hmm. of going <laughs> broccoli to cheeseburgers fries pasta you know like bagels literally everything I ended up getting my period back in like I think it was six or seven weeks it was it was pretty quick Um, and again I do think it's because I was so restricted for so many years with what I was eating it wasn't just like oh I eat everything but I only eat a little bit of it I think the transition from being so restrictive to just eating absolutely everything really, you know, pushed me over the line to get a period. And I instantly remember feeling so at ease. Like I could sit on the couch without feeling like I had to get up and like flutter around and do something. Like my body felt so nourished, so rested, so chill. It was like I had gone down a couple levels in my anxiety. My sleep improved immediately, and that was amazing because, I mean, 10 years of, like, taking four hours to fall asleep is miserable. I literally wrote down in my, like, preparation notes, having my first cheeseburger was a spiritual experience <laughs> because my mm-hmm. body just mm-hmm. liked, For like, sure. it liked this food that I was eating, and I couldn't deny how, how good I was feeling like physiologically, um, which I'm thankful for, because I know a lot of people, you know, just feel full, they feel uncomfortable, they don't feel like it's quote unquote working. But I did not have that experience. Um, I did you have any running. idea why? Like, do you feel like you just had a different mindset? Like, was it having your partner there? Was it seeing other people do it? Or just like, It just happened to your brain just enjoyed your brain was just ready for it. Hey, do you know what your blind spots are? As in, do you know what it is, what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back? Look, it could be an absolute plethora cornucopia of things, but in our practice, what we tend, the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be still doing and these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even. We have created a checklist. It's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today. So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery. And it's just an insightful thing for you to do to help you reflect. And then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked 
and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery. So to get the checklist, all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you. You can print it off and you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. I mean, I think it's probably a combination. I mean, not everyone is going to have a boyfriend who's like, you got this, gain weight, you know, like, let's go. And, like, that was super helpful. Having, again, the whole treatment team, that kind of holistic approach was super helpful. And I just couldn't deny the, like, physiological evidence. I had never before had I been able to just sit on the couch and, like, watch an episode of TV. I was far too anxious and neurotic and underfed to enjoy that. And so when, when I was able to like feel like a quote unquote normal person, I couldn't deny that, that eating was better. You know, being small was not no longer better. I think I also really liked getting these curves. You know, I got hips, I got a butt, I got boobs. And for so long, I had been this, like, little 12-year-old boy body runner. And getting that that first taste of, like, femininity that a lot of women get when they go through puberty, I got, you know, at 27 years old. And I was kind of loving it because I felt sexy. I felt feminine. And that was a new experience for me. Um, and it was also something I always felt was out of reach for me because of how much I was running. Um, and, you know, on that note, I did continue running a little bit, um, through the, those initial months of recovery. It was probably about a fourth of what I would normally do. And I just, I say that because I was a collegiate runner. Like I had been a runner for 10 years. Like not everybody can continue running through recovery. And and I fully recognize that. Um, and it, you know, it was hard to just run a little bit and run slowly. And a lot of times I would immediately do yin yoga right after to kind of bring my nervous system back down. Um, I actually also did a couple races with my husband. You know, I didn't train for them, obviously, because the training would have been a little too much while I was in the middle of recovery. Um, and I would carry my own fuel. You know, a lot of people did not have like a, a Nathan hydration pack stuff with snacks for you know the the amount of miles we were running but I would you know it was non-negotiable I had to eat I had to drink and I I never before would have been able to just show up to a start line without training you know I was again way too neurotic and anxious for that so this you know this experience of life where I could just be like ah let's go out there with my husband and see what like see what we can do and just enjoy it you know and run slow and and notice things and laugh and enjoy being outside. It was a whole new experience. Um, you know, I did eventually have to buy all new clothes, and you know that was that was challenging as it is for a lot of uh, recovered folks. So I mean, there were definitely parts of recovery that were not as you know pleasant as others. But I spent the last uh, about two. I spent about two years weight restored, exercising some, but also, you know, eating, traveling, resting. I continued meeting with my um, eating disorder recovery therapist during that time just to kind of keep my body recovered. You know, I didn't want to jump into training so fast after recovering. I wanted my body to feel safe where it was. Um, And so I made the decision to kind of just lay low for about two years. And then this summer, at the end of that two years, I've started training with a professional running coach. Um, I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I want to run a 100-miler. Those are two goals I've always had, and I don't feel like I should have to give them up just because of recovery. And I'm fully committed to going after those goals in a way that works for my recovery. Um, so 
really right now, and my husband agrees with me, I was talking to him about this, eating is the most important part of my day. Like, I am not skipping. I am not rushing through meals. You know, I'm getting all my meals, all my snacks in um, because I want to be able to run. And I know that I cannot do that if I'm restricting or not sleeping well. Um, Even when my husband and I were on our honeymoon, like a couple weeks ago, we went to Europe for two weeks and there was no like staying in bed late. I was like, we're hitting that breakfast buffet every single day. Like get up, get out of bed. I don't care that you want to lounge. Like I want to eat all of it. <laughs> Love that. It's just it's mm-hmm. and it's a it's a priority for me. And I think, you know, training while recovered, it takes a lot of um intention. You know, and I have that extra layer of accountability with Chris where, you know, recently I had COVID and was sick and not eating a lot and he said, like, hey, you're looking you're not looking good. Let's like hit the food. You know, I've, 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 I'm lucky to have this layer of accountability in my personal life. Um, but training while recovered, like you just, you just can't be as lean. You, and you have to accept that, you know, running fueled is better than running hungry, even if you're a little bit slower. Um, and I, I still love the feeling of being able to finish a run and like I'm not dead because I've, you know, ate a snack beforehand and have electrolytes right after, um, you know, for so long I would run and then just kind of collapse because I was so dead tired. And this experience of training while recovered and fueled is, is just so special in that way. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, like I said, I'm training right now first to try to qualify for Boston. That's the first thing on the list. And, you know, we just got to monitor the period and kind of see if anything happens. If I'm late, that's an indication I need to readjust on my calories. You know, you just got to be really cognizant and intentional about it. Yeah. Look at your master class and how to do it with exercise. If you're going to do it with exercise, I think you touched on really important, like, you just made sure to insert really important points that I always have to pause and re-say because when we talk about people who maybe exercised somewhat during recovery, which also huge emphasis on how like you didn't train for it, like you showed up to the things that were fun and that's a totally different um, word, like a, a totally different approach and like everything you're saying here on like you just cannot be as lean as you want to be and I think you know you you had said something which I hear a lot right which was I just don't think I should have to give those things up and what a lot of people mean or are saying when I hear them say it is I shouldn't have to give those things up oh and I also shouldn't have to give up how my body looks and I also shouldn't have to give up you know the amount of stress I put on my plate yada yada like no budging but for you I'm hearing a lot of I didn't think I should have to give it up but I did know I would have to make changes and I think that's big exactly I mean I think one of the biggest challenges in recovery is not having a victim mindset because it's really easy to get in that headspace of like, oh, well, this isn't fair. You know, like she can run and she can not eat and, you know, comparing ourselves with other people and thinking like, you know, I've got to give up all my goals. It's like, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. You just have to do your part, which is eat, you know, like you can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it feels really good to have some other people saying that. It's true. You know, um, I think I think that's yeah. great. And while there are some people who like, you know, need to back off more than others and things like that, you know, there is a world where you can do whatever activity it is that you want. The problem is in trying to micromanage every nth degree of it, of it, like the level of leanness, the amount you train, the 
the performance you get. Like we think we should be able to biohack our way into having it all, but it's that's really just running us into the ground. So I thought that was a very well articulated and shared story. Well, and I'm sure people would have looked at me when I was at a very unhealthy point, you know, without a period, my hair falling out, not sleeping and thinking like, oh, well, she can do it. You know, she's running and not eating. But what, what they weren't seeing was that I was miserable and like every other aspect of my life. So we just have to be really careful when we're comparing ourselves to other people because we don't know the quality of their relationships. We don't know the quality of their sleep. And these things are really important to living a like full human life. 100%. Oh, I love it. This was so great. Right? <laughs> like, I feel like yeah, no, you had a message and you were like, I'm not sure if talking about, I'm not sure if talking <laughs> about training is okay. I was like, 100% it's okay when we're all being freaking reasonable about the whole thing. Um, yeah. I, I think about you all the time because I often am brought back to the memory of the community call where we're all discussing, like, when people do dinner party, like, lunches at 3 p.m. <laughs> oh, the 3 p.m. Barbecue, yes. Yes, and you're like, who does yeah, I'm stressed. <laughs> oh, good yeah, stuff. Good so cool. stuff. It's so cool to look back now because if I would get invited to the 3 p.m. barbecue, I'd be like, hell yeah. You know, like there's I right? have no thought about like, oh, well, should I eat like an early lunch or a late dinner or blah, blah, blah. I'll just like eat what's there when I'm hungry end of story you know it's like I want to be focused on like the people I'm going to see at that barbecue and the conversations I'm going to have and like the memories I'm going to make not like micromanaging my food schedule yeah it's like one thought I might have is well I hope you don't make too much food because I'm probably like everyone's probably gonna have had lunch because it's totally weird to do a 3 p.m barbecue but I mean I'm gonna show up and I'll eat <laughs> If only it was there. Uh. Oh, I forgot about that, but that was awesome. As soon as I said it, everybody was like, oh, my God, I'm anxious for you. You know, it was like this whole ordeal. <laughs> it's funny because that's who I was going with to that barbecue. And that was, in, you know, the very beginning of our relationship. Um, that's yeah, so I mean, sweet. Cool. I'm actually... I'm going to like repost that episode with Jake. I'm going to bring it back up to the front because that's a really old one. It was. It, it, well, you had just gotten started, really. I mean, there were probably like yeah. 40, maybe like 20, I don't know, podcasts. Obviously, I listened to all of them up until that point after I felt exposed from your conversation with your husband. Um, but I mean, those were the early days for sure. Mm, there you go episode 48 i'm a the roles the partner's role in ha recovery that's so funny jake was so cute on that episode too bless all of the husbands and boyfriends and <laughs> just bless bless them all <laughs> no for sure for sure uh, okay well i love the story i feel like it was very entertaining <laughs> the whole way through a lot of drama a lot of ups and downs I think some big takeaways and if you have any extras that you want to just you know make sure get across to the ladies today but I think a big takeaway is like you can have had an eating disorder and you can get through this and you can live a normal life but you need to stop negotiating the process and you need to do it the full way and stop with the well I don't eat this and and I don't do that and I just feel better this way and just like stop bullshitting you and everyone around you or else it's only going to prolong the process and you may not get the full result of recovery that's what I get from your story a thousand percent a thousand percent I mean the negotiation like we will go to great lengths 
to justify our behavior, especially when we have, you know, like eating disorder. Um, and you just, you just got to let it go. You got to see it for what it is. And what it is is that you're restricting food or increasing exercise to try to manipulate your body. And I mean, that's, we can't do that. You can't do that if you want to train and if you want to have a full, again, a full human life. Mm-hmm. Amen. You want to be a human? Stop with the rubbish. I love it. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was really helpful. I really love this episode. I'm going to bump it up. I think it's going to come out on October 18th so there you go and word. yeah word <laughs> I love it it's bumped up and if there's anything any final word you want to tell the people um courage the ladies still on their journey I mean I will say I learned about HA from this podcast about three years ago and I am now on this mm. podcast talking about being recovered. Mm. I mean, it, it's possible. Like, it is, it is within your reach. And there are tools and resources. And, you, like, you can do it. You know, I never would have thought in the early days when I was listening to these podcasts that I would be, like, talking about how freaking awesome recovery is on the same podcast. I mean, it's wild. It really is wild. I'm very grateful. <laughs> Yes. And there are other people listening right now. It could be you. It could be you telling your story. You know, that's the magic. Yes, the magic. Um, Well, this was great. This was amazing. Thank you, Lauren, for reaching back out after this time and getting to kind of hear an update on like how happy you are is so fulfilling to me. So I can't thank you enough. Um, just for coming on and letting me hear everything, let alone everyone else. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for having a freaking podcast that my husband found. <laughs> I know, right? Just it had the exact name he needed it to have to find it. <laughs> That's for all sure, strategy. Sure. All right. <laughs> we appreciate you. Uh, all right. Yeah, I appreciate all of you guys too. So, We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. And I hope that you all have a fantastic week. Hey there, it's me, Danny, And I want to tell you about Temp Drop as a fertility awareness method tracking option. So many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100% after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor and we love it. It's a wearable device, so you put it around your arm and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking, all of us at the HA Society are, and that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping, but once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So TempDrop's accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature. This includes tracking your cervical mucus, if you've been using OPKs, and then it also gives you sleep insights too. 
So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place, and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period. And if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy, or you want to chart for health reasons like HA recovery, making sure your cycle is not slipping back in the HA direction, TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop, and we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code. So just go to tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code AFHA Society. I think too, if you just go to tempdrop.com and, and use um, AFHA Society at the checkout, that will work too. So happy temping and good luck. This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other, like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, Eating nutrient-dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural. This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef. And my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp, which is important for overall thyroid function, which is often low in women with underperforming hormones. So rather than eat seaweed snacks every day, I get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine. So if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now, do not skimp the nutrient-rich source of beef liver. Get 10% off your order with the HA Society and support your favorite podcast along the way. They ship to most countries, so you should be covered. Just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA Society, just HA Society, at the checkout for the 10% off. That's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA Society. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily so if you do that you're doing a service to all of the women